to Women's Health, Wisdom, and Wine, a weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily women's health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email at info at To learn more about our team's approach to care, visit our website at www.larenawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, remember to follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and tap on the bell to make sure you never miss an episode. Let us know what is your favorite topic, who has been your favorite guest, and who would you like to hear from on the next pod. Most importantly, share the podcast and your favorite episode with a friend or colleague. Lastly, remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. Reputation, class, family, integrity, gender. These are the fundamental and universal themes explored in Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. I can vividly remember sitting in my 10th grade English class, preparing for my 11th grade year, my junior year in high school, and reading over the AP Honors English summer book reading list, and Pride and Prejudice was on it. My friends and people who had read the book earlier on in their high school careers talked about how hard it was and how they needed the cliff notes just to get through it. And I realized it was going to be challenging or I thought it was going to be challenging, but I figured it was just a book and I knew how to read. After leaving that class, well, actually right before leaving that class, my teacher pulled me aside and not only encouraged me to purchase the Cliff Notes, but she suggested strongly that I might not be able to get through it because it was so hard to read. Prejudice. And so, like any great student, that day, that weekend, my mom and I made, you know, got the list together and started going to the library and picking up books. And that was one of the first ones that I wanted to read because I assumed it was going to be hard to read. And seeing as how I was the only one singled out, 
and encouraged to bring a copy or purchase a copy of the Cliff Notes, I felt that not only was I not going to do that, but I knew that I was going to get through this book. So we got it from the library. Um, and I remember thinking, no matter how hard this is, no matter how difficult it is for me to read, I'll be damned if I'm going to read one page of clip notes. Was it hard to read? No. Was it challenging? Yes. And throughout the summer, I saw all of my friends talking about the clip notes and that they didn't even read the book, but they just read the clip notes because it was too hard for them to read. And yet an example, motivation potentially of my own pride, not allowing myself to even look at the cliff notes to prove a point, not only to my teacher, but also to myself. Pride and prejudice. While there were obvious lessons in this novel, one of the biggest lessons that I got from the process of reading it was to don't judge the proverbial book by its cover. To me, this was the obvious lesson of the novel and not just the, by its content, but by my overall experience. This lesson is as important now as ever, particularly for clinicians and providers. Don't let first impressions dictate your approach to a patient or client. And also don't shy away from something because you fear it or you don't understand it, try to view it from a different perspective. Allow your patients and clients to surprise you, particularly in the private setting, the private hospital setting, the private clinic setting. You'll spend a great deal of time getting to know your clientele and patients in so many different capacities. So keep in open mind, and you might find that your patients and clients are constantly contradicting the image that they first presented to you. Perhaps you can see where we're going, and in this case, we'll continue. June is Pride Month. Pride Month honors the 1969 Stonewall Uprising in New York City, a pivotal moment for the LGBTQ plus community. More than 50 years later, LGBTQ plus people continue to face discrimination and barriers to quality health care and education. What are we going to do about it? Welcoming providers are essential for LGBTQ plus health. When it comes to providing health care for LGBTQ plus individuals, everyone, everyone, no matter what community they're from, deserves to have access to all the same services. Oftentimes, Finding a healthcare provider who offers those services is not always easy for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, non-binary, or gender non-conforming individuals. Many LGBTQ plus people report their provider doesn't understand issues involving their sexuality or gender identity 
and some providers are downright hostile or even refuse to provide care. As a result, patients don't talk about their health concerns or they avoid seeking health care altogether. These barriers are partly responsible for the increased risk of heart disease, some cancers, substance abuse, and depression among LGBTQ plus individuals. As a reproductive medicine and women's health provider, my goal is that all of my patients feel confident that they're getting the same care as everyone else. Patients who are part of the LGBTQ plus population really have the same issues as people who are not part of that community. And we care about hypertension in everyone. We do cancer screenings for everyone. And mental health issues are just as important for us as there are for primary care practitioners to pay attention to. We know from studies that there's a markedly increased rate of depression and suicidality and substance abuse among LGBTQ plus individuals. So we're really trying to combine mental health and physical health and offer a one-stop shop for individuals seeking care. We truly believe that our approach, which is holistic with an H and with a W, and integrative allows patients to really open up so that we can address their mental and physical needs at the same time. As with all patients, care should be tailored individually to the LGBTQ plus patient based on family history, age, and other individual risks. Sometimes I think patients have challenges when they encounter providers who may not be very familiar with what different risk categories are. For example, Many providers think that women who have sex with women don't need pap tests, which is a common myth. But the HPV virus can spread through genital skin-to-skin contact, so it's important for providers to keep with guidelines, regardless of sexual orientation. I've had patients who are establishing care with us for the first time, and I realize it's a very scary experience because they don't know what to expect. Our philosophy is to ask the same questions every time, no matter who the person is, without assuming that everyone is heterosexual. If you're doing a sexual history, one of the riskiest things a provider can do is assume that someone's sexual practices are or what they are. Sexual practices should be asked of everyone, not just LGBTQ plus patients. The more questions that are normalized, the more comfortable everyone will be. And outside of our tagline being seen, being heard, and being valued, our core tenets that guide our firm are kindness, integrity, inclusion, accountability, and excellence. We want our patients and clients to feel comfortable coming here and know that this is a place where they are welcomed no matter what. We have a really, really well-trained team within our practice. However, the majority of healthcare providers, even though they have good intentions and want to do their best, they just often don't have the adequate training. And I think it's important to bring awareness to this issue because, well, part of me hopes that there will be a day when a patient doesn't have to seek out a provider who is LGBTQ plus friendly, but we know unfortunately that we're just not there right now. Quite honestly, we have to do better. So here are six tips for providers and patients alike in order to get quality care from a quality provider. First, get care sooner rather than later. 
whether it's for a mental or physical health issue, many LGBTQ plus individuals, and especially trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming individuals, delay health care. And that can really further complicate things, especially in the realm of mental health. It's important to try to find the time to prioritize mental and physical health so that you're able to achieve your other goals that you have in life and in a health and safe environment. Use the transgender friendly database in order to find a practitioner who has health professionals that are safe. Third, prioritize your mental and physical health care. A provider should not only focus on the physical and care doesn't have to be delivered under the same roof. So there should be coordination between mental health and physical health care services. And if that's not happening, folks need to find a practice that does look at these things in totality. Take the time to vet providers. Developing relationships with providers who respect you and with whom you feel comfortable is key for everyone. For trans individuals, it's especially important to find providers who have expertise and experience in treating other trans individuals. Take the time to vet them to make sure you're receiving competent care. You need to know your hormone therapy provider is really well-versed in how to best provide hormone therapy for your specific needs. And if you're considering surgery, consult multiple surgeons. There is difficulty in doing multiple consultations. I acknowledge that but it will ensure that you learn about all the different options and that you're selecting a provider who's most qualified to provide you with the gender-affirming surgery that is aligned with your goals, your desires, and meets your physical needs as well. And fifth, don't accept unwelcoming healthcare environments. When patients first walk in the door, they should ask themselves, is this a welcoming environment where I can be frank about my history to ensure my care is tailored specifically to me as an individual? I've heard of many patients who love their doctor, their nurse practitioner, but hated the office. And that's a real detriment to care. If a person does not feel welcomed and comfortable sitting in the waiting room, it just sets off this bad vibe that works against what we're trying to accomplish. Everything from the physical environment, the ancillary staff, the front desk person, and the medical assistants need to be on the same page. And you think this would be easy to do, but it's seemingly not in today's environment. Also, listen to your body signals. Depending on the extent of the gender dysphoria, trans men and women sometimes dissociate from their body to some degree because they find it painful to experience their body as it is, especially if they haven't accessed gender-affirming medical interventions. That can lead people to ignore signals from their body that something is wrong. So, to the extent that it's possible, try to navigate ways to really connect with your body so you're able to take input from it and have better understanding of how you're doing with respect to mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional health. As a trans-friendly practice, we are committed to demonstrating an eagerness to welcome and embrace the transgender and non-binary community. We treat trans and non-binary clientele with dignity and respect, always using preferred names and pronouns and apologizing when and where we get it wrong. Where we offer gendered spaces or gendered services, we will always defer to the client sense of gender identity when providing access to these services. We provide training and development to our client-facing team to make sure they are equipped and ready to serve trans and non-binary people. We're not perfect, and if something goes wrong, we'll listen to our trans and non-binary clientele 
and work to resolve the issue for them as quickly as possible. We won't tolerate, we don't tolerate transphobic and homophobic behavior by our team. We stand up for our transgender and non-binary clientele, and we will never discriminate against a trans client based on someone else's interpretation and because someone asks us to. We recognize the unique challenges that transgender and non-binary clientele may face in accessing services, and we will work with our transgender and non-binary clientele to make accessing our services as easily as possible. We also welcome job applications from transgender and non-binary people, and will always allow them to freely express their identity, gender identity at work. We welcome feedback from our transgender and non-binary clientele to help us improve the services that we provide. Feedback can be made directly to any one of our team members and reviews and comments can also be left on the TransFriendly website. And now it's wine time. Whether you're a wine aficionado or enthusiast or merely wine curious, this segment is for you. Some of the best conversations like the one I just had occur over a glass of wine with great company. And if you don't imbibe at all, Cheers to your health, wellness, and healing, too. Last Friday, June 11th, was National Rosé Day, a day to celebrate summer, friends, and all things pink. And if you're anything like me, you do not need an excuse to pop open a fresh bottle of wine, and rosé is a perfect way to do so. So let's start off with some frequently asked questions about how rosé is made, and is it the same as grapes? the same grapes as there are in a red wine. And for the most part, rosé is made from the same grapes as red wine. And the only difference is that the red wine of the skin of the grapes is left on longer with the juice when fermenting, giving it a darker red color. And is rosé expensive? It has an expensive sounding name, but you can most definitely buy an expensive bottle of rosé the same way you could overspend on a burger. Um, but rosé is not historically known to be very expensive. Um, and at one point, you could even get yourself a good bottle for under $15. Because the popularity has risen, the best ones for your buck are around $20 to $30. And so when we think about rosé, what's not to love? It's crisp, it's refreshing, it's fruit-driven, and it pairs with a variety of foods as well as being able to sip on it solo on a sun-drenched afternoon. And contrary to popular belief, well-made rosés can also withstand the test of time in the cellar when they're produced at the right hands, of course. As with reds and whites, seeking out responsibly made rosé is key. This means looking towards bottles that are produced from sustainably farmed fruit and are produced with light hand in the cellar and reflect the place from which they come. There is a rosé for every occasion, and good rosé shouldn't bog you down. It shouldn't be heavy, and it should always warrant another sip. And if you're not sure where to start, um, I'd like to mention two of my personal favorites. Um, Rumor rosé is pretty much a, the best food-friendly rosé I've ever tasted. And it has an elegant taste. It's produced in a vineyard founded in the early 13th century in the heart of the Côte de Provence, France, and you'll see it popping up in so many recognizable hotels and restaurants around the world. It has this lovely pale pink color, has easy drinkability, it's food friendly, 
And honestly, it makes for one of the best rosés I've ever had. And it's definitely one of my new favorites. And it is a blend of grapes comprised of Grenache, Sinsol, Syrah. And it's just delicate, dry. It has these bright citrus and stone fruit flavors, but also with a round finish. Well-balanced wine. It can definitely, again, be drunk on its own, but does well pair with a variety of dishes, including our charcuterie plate full of cured meats, aged cheeses, dried fruits, savory nuts. All of those will be an ideal pairing. However, one of my personal favorites, just because of the name, is the McBride Sisters Black Girl Magic Rosé. It's from California, but it's also a dry rosé made from Pinot Noir. It's grown in Santa Lucia, highlands of Monterey, and it has those aromas of white florals, strawberry, raspberry, orange blossom, and it has a delightful minerality and acidity. Very mouthwatering and has a citrus finish. So those are my personal faves. And remember, whether you prefer a still or bubbly rosé, deep pink or more orange, raise a glass to this perfect summer sipper. Take care. Salud. Thanks for joining Women's Health, Wisdom, and Wine. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply it to your own life. Also, remember to follow us, review us, and give us five stars. Till we meet again, remember, nourish your flourish.